Well, we thought we would just start out on a nice, mellow, lighthearted note this morning. I, I don't know what it is about videos. If you put some like kids from all around the world, their faces set to some emotional music, pretty much a guaranteed recipe for tears. Uh, but I'm really, really excited about the series that we began last week, and we're going to be continuing on here throughout the summer called How to Neighbor, where we're tackling what I think most of us would consider to be four of the most pressing subjects, four of the most pressing topics in our world right now. Th- th- these are messages and topics, in fact, that I think are pertinent to literally every single person uh, that walked through the doors today, every single one of you, no matter where you find yourself on this whole faith journey. And so if you were not here last week, we would really, really encourage you to go to grumblaw.com slash messages and catch yourself up there, listen to the messages there, watch the messages there, or find us in a Grumlaw church wherever it is you happen to grab your podcasts. Uh, now last week, if you were here, uh, we unpacked an exceedingly touchy and exceedingly sensitive subject. We touched on the subject of, of racism. Uh, and if you were here last week, I, I think you would probably attest to this as well, uh, there was something that just special that happened in the room last week. Uh, that, that there was a noticeable, just like, oh my goodness, as weird as it maybe sounds to you, like God was definitely doing something last week. So again, even more reason, if you're not here, make sure you're going online and you're catching yourself up. Now, as we touched on last week, uh, the reason that we're doing this series and the reason that we think this series is so important to every single person that, that is sitting here today uh, is because we have all been affected, both positively and negatively, by technology in this ever-changing uh, social landscape. Uh, you might think, to yourself that everybody just understands how to neighbor, but, but that's not actually the case. This is quickly becoming the loneliest, in fact, the most isolated generation in the history of the world because of how technology has really affected how we interact, uh, how we communicate with one another. Now, I, I mentioned this last week, uh, maybe I'm being naive, I, I don't think that that has necessarily been intentional. I don't think that we're trying to disconnect from, from one another, but, but nonetheless, it is certainly happening. So we ought to be intentional about neighboring. We, we ought to be intentional about connecting with the world around us. And as we unpacked last week, one of the great things about this topic of neighboring uh, is that Jesus has some very, very direct words. He has some very direct things to say uh, on this subject. We don't have to kind of guess and think, okay, yeah, this is maybe kind of what he was talking about. He very directly addresses this subject of neighboring. Uh, and even at one one point has the question posed to him, who is my neighbor? So somebody comes and just flat out asks him, who is my neighbor? And when he responds to that question, he, he doesn't actually tell us who to neighbor. He in fact tells us how to neighbor. See, see, Jesus is actually already running under the assumption that all of you are smart enough to know that he meant everyone, not just the people that look like you, not just the people that think like you, believe like you, dress like you. Well, what Jesus is essentially communicating is don't play stupid with God. Don't be so arrogant. Don't think so highly of yourself that you would somehow think that you're more valuable than the person that sits to your left or the person that sits to your right. In God's eyes, we are all on an equal playing field. He died just as much for you as the person next to you. We have all been created in God's image. And and today, as most of you have probably gathered, because you are all smart people and you put things together, we're going to be specifically addressing uh, how do we neighbor orphans? How how do we be a neighbor to to the children who are in need of homes? That when Jesus was addressing the subject of neighboring, he was certainly including children. He was certainly including orphans in that equation. Now, in the United States alone, there are approximately 400,000 children that that are in need of a home. One of the most sobering realizations and something that was pointed out to me years ago uh, was that if every Christian church... So so throw aside the denominational lines and all that, but if just every Christian church in America had just one couple, 
just one family, just one person that adopted just one child, if there was just one adopted child represented literally in, in every church in America, we literally would not have a single orphan in the United States. It would not be an issue. In the state of Michigan alone, there are approximately 14,000 children that are in the foster care system. Uh, my wife and I uh, are actually in the process of adoption right now. We're actually nearing the, the end of that line. It has been a slow and, and tedious race. It's one of the things that always keeps coming back to my mind. Is like when we had a biological child, they didn't even see if we put the kid in a like in a like a car seat when we left the hospital. Like the kid could have rode shotgun with us, and, and nobody would have said a word. But like when you adopt a child, they're like, "Who delivered mail to you when you were in the third grade?" You're like, "Is that really pertinent?" I mean, not quite that far, but it's about that far. So we're finally uh, through this process, and, and we can't wait to see who God's going to bring into our homes. Obviously, this is a subject that is near and dear to my wife and I's heart, but kind of naively early on, um, and after we had gotten done with the initial background checks and been like, okay, the initial like clearance phase, uh, they give you access uh, to a website that basically shows you every child that is a ward of the state that would basically be available to adopt right now. And I kind of jumped on that website almost excitedly, probably didn't have the right mental state in, in mind. Like, oh my goodness, like what kids are going to be available? Uh, and, and I wasn't a quarter of the way through the first page uh, I can count on one hand the number of times that I've wept in my life, and that was one of them. As you just saw child after child after child after child, it just lists the stats. It kind of tells you a little bit about the child, but one of the numbers that just just jumping and leaping off the page to me was how long some of these kids have been waiting to be adopted. A year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, in some cases, these children that have been waiting for somebody to invite them into their family. To, to invite them into their home. My wife and I uh, actually were texting this week and uh, she finally worked up the courage again to log onto the site because again, we're almost near the end of this process and can begin identifying children that we'd be able to bring into our home. And uh, she texted me, she's like, I-, I couldn't get past the third kid. I was just like, we'll take them all. Like, let's just have like 3,000 kids. And she said, again, the same thing. She's just bawling her eyes out. Um, you're gonna have to excuse my, my bluntness a little bit this morning, but, but I don't think as a society, and in particular, as Jesus followers, we're really crushing it in this area. I'm also going to just acknowledge something right here on the front end today, uh, that this talk, a little bit more than normal, than, than what we're normally maybe accustomed to here at Grumlaw, is going to have a little bit more insider speech, and it's going to be therefore a little bit more blunt than what you would normally experience here on a Sunday morning, meaning uh, this is really kind of a message for the Jesus followers in the room. If you're new here today and, and you haven't crossed that line of faith, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you wouldn't call yourself a Jesus follower, uh, you get to kind of pick and choose a lot of the stuff that we're going to be talking about today. Uh, I still hope and I obviously pray that you take your next step towards God today. Uh, in fact, that's one of the incredible promises that God gives us, that as we move closer to him, he will always move closer to, to us. And, and, and undeniably speaking, uh, if you follow the teachings of Jesus, they will make your life better. They will make the lives around you better. Uh, but again, today you kind of get to pick and choose because if I'm being 100% honest, unless you have a growing relationship with Jesus, most of what I talk about today really isn't going to make much sense. It's in fact going to sound very counter logic. It's going to sound very counterintuitive, but I'd still challenge you to lean in and as crazy as it maybe sounds to you today, I know that if you are listening, God certainly has something to say to you. Now, it's kind of undeniable that we're not doing a, a very good job in this area, that we're not neighboring orphans uh, particularly well. And, and the reason that, that I'm actually so confident of that is, is this. Uh, there are far more Jesus followers than children who need homes. There are far more people in our world who would identify as Jesus followers that would call themselves Christians than there are children who are in need of homes. And as long as this number 
outweighs this number, theoretically, this in fact should never be an issue. And I'm trusting that God is gonna do something in hearts today, and specifically in the hearts of Jesus followers today, that this will begin to be the beginning of a movement within this church, within this community of people. Before we go any farther, I'd love to pray for us. Father, um, I just say thank you uh, again for this church, for this community of people that gather here on on a weekly basis, um, for their responsiveness, uh, that they're not always just content to just go, okay, that was nice, but they actually go out and, and do. Uh, I just ask God that every single one of us, um, no matter what our backgrounds look like, no matter what kind of baggage we might be bringing in here this morning, would just be open to whatever it is uh, that you may want to say to us today. Uh, You're an incredible father. It's your name we pray. Amen. Now, one of the most common pieces of pushback that I get, and I I don't think that this is unique to me. Uh, In fact, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, you've probably heard this before as well. But one of the most common pieces uh, of pushback that I get from people who are resistant towards Christianity, who are resistant towards the Christian church, is that they, they just can't get over the idea that there's a God out there and that that God would allow certain grievances in our world. One of the prime examples, in fact, being orphans, children who are suffering because they do not have a home. They just can't get their minds around the idea that there's supposedly this loving God, but yet this loving God would allow an innocent child to suffer in any way. But, but allow me to propose this morning that God actually has provided a solution. God hasn't forgotten about these children. God certainly isn't ignoring these children. He, in fact, actually has a plan, and he laid out the plan very, very clearly. It's just that the plan, wouldn't you know it, isn't cooperating. See, the church is the plan. And as I spoke about last week, uh, when I say church, I'm not talking about a building. In fact, that's one of the biggest translation tragedies. And I coined that term, translation tragedies. That's pretty clever, right? Uh, It's one of the biggest translation tragedies, literally, in the history of language. We should not have this word, actually, in our English Bibles. The word that we should have is actually a Greek word, which is ekklesia, which is literally translated means congregation or assembly or community of people. Uh, Ekklesia draws up no mental images of a building. And so when I say the church, I'm not talking about a building, I'm talking about a community of people. I'm talking about the community, the greater community of people who would identify as Jesus followers as a whole. Once Jesus stepped onto the planet and he ushered into this new movement that we now refer to as Christianity, orphans at that point should have been no more. That the church is plan A and, and there is no plan B. To put it plainly, to put it bluntly, Christians are dropping the ball and we're not taking the command to look after orphans and widows all that seriously. James, who is uh, in fact the brother of Jesus, think about that for a second, growing up in a home where Jesus was your older brother, okay? Uh, he in fact didn't buy into the whole thing that, that Jesus was the son of God. He's like, nope, I, I know our parents, they are your parents, don't believe you. Uh, he wasn't buying into it until, when you know it, Jesus rose from the dead. And then he rose from the dead and he's like, okay, I'm gonna pay a little more attention to what my brother had to say. And he wrote it down all in this book for us, uh, in this letter, in fact, titled James. And, and James covers a myriad of subjects. If, if you never picked up and read the Bible before, that would be a great place for you to start. I, I love listening to the words of James, again, just because I consider what in the heck must that guy have heard growing up literally with Jesus and he actually specifically addresses this this subject of orphans uh, in the first chapter he says religion that God our father accepts as pure and faultless 
is this. Now, now right there, I, I think that ought to grab our attention, specifically if you call yourself a Jesus follower, right? Because that's kind of a staggering statement. Religion that God our Father, that our Creator accepts as pure and faultless. In other words, re- religion in, in its simplest form is this. And it's like, man, we should be ready for this. We should be taking notes on this. He says, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Okay, James, what else? And he's like, that's it. He's like, look after orphans and widows and try not to get corrupted by the world. You do those three things and you're probably on the right track. I I don't think that James could could have made it any more clear. I I don't think he could have put it in any simpler terms. In fact, in the verses that immediately precede this verse, he speaks to the fact that if you call yourself a Jesus follower, you are not called to merely listen, but you're called to actually do. In my opinion, this is one of the greatest tragedies of the American Christian church in particular, that we've gotten really, really good at listening. We listen to sermons, and we listen to podcasts, and we listen to stories of life change, but then we leave these types of buildings on Sundays, and not a whole lot changes. Jesus would actually refer to that type of faith as dead and useless, his words, and what he means by that is it is dead and useless, meaning that type of faith is not doing anything for anyone. He's going, God ain't impressed by you showing up here and sitting here for an hour each week. Going to church, unfortunately for so many people, has kind of become synonymous uh, with doing an activity like going to the movies. Uh, prior to this, I've shared about this before, uh, to becoming a pastor, I was actually in medical sales Uh, And one of the products that I sold was called a bone stimulator. And basically what you did is is you took this device and you put it over a fracture site. You wore it for 20 minutes a day. And based on those 20 minutes a day, it would accelerate healing by 38%. Uh, It would heal non-unions, fractures that weren't healing. It would heal 86% of those fractures. Can't you see like the the sales rep coming back out in me here? And uh, and, and it kind of sounds a little dubious, right? Like the idea that you would wear something for 20 minutes a day and it's somehow going to heal things. And that certainly wasn't lost on patients or physicians. I'd have to show the, you know, the physicians all the studies that it actually works and they'd be convinced of it, I, I guess at least a little. And they'd start you know, prescribing these products to, to their patients. And oftentimes what I would be asked to do is come uh, to patients' follow-up appointments and sit in the room, the doctor would tell them, hey, you're gonna be prescribed this device, and then right there, I would demonstrate to them how to use the device. And and every once in a while, I would say, in fact, probably about once a week, you know, once every two weeks, a a patient, you know, hearing all this would look and be like, you're trying to tell me that 20 minutes a day, that 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 is somehow gonna heal my bone? And I'm like, yeah, and then they'd look at the doctor, and, and they'd ask this question every once in a while, and they'd look at the doctor and they'd say, if you had a fracture, would you use this thing? And most of the time, fortunate for me, the doctor would be like, yeah, I've actually seen the studies. I I would use the device. But every once in a while, I don't know if the doctor was just trying to keep me on my toes. I don't know if they totally didn't buy into it. They'd look at the patient and they'd go, I don't know, probably not. (laughs) It did not matter what came out of my mouth from that point forward. That patient was not taking the device. I could have shown them all the studies. I could have explained to them that it worked so miraculously on myself. It didn't matter because guess what? The actions, the doing meant a whole lot more than the talking. And and, and this is a bit of a rabbit trail, but y'all, in so many ways, this is what is killing the Christian church, particularly the American version of the Christian church, because we've just become this, this, this people that just listen rather than this movement this movement of doers, the reason that the first century church was this unstoppable force that that nobody could get in the way of 
was because they did. It grabbed the attention of the world around them. People had to know where that type of life change was coming from. They were constantly asking the question, why are these people living so much differently than the world around us? And I think in large part, people are not asking that question very often. And it's why, wouldn't you know it, you're having a heck of a time trying to get your family member, maybe your spouse, trying to get your coworker, trying to get your neighbor to come to church with you. They don't really see the point. It's something in their minds that's just gonna chew up an hour of their precious weekend. There's nothing all that compelling that's really beckoning for their attention. And that's not Jesus' fault. That, that's, that's our fault. One of the things, in fact, and perhaps you could say the thing that really captured the attention of, of ancient Rome, there was this, you know, this, this new wave of people that called themselves Jesus followers or that they called themselves followers of the way back at this point in history. We're talking like first, second, third, fourth century uh, Rome. Uh, and unfortunately, a really, un, uh, really common practice back at this point in history in, in ancient Rome was that people would abandon their newborn children for basically any reason that they saw fit. Uh, oftentimes it was because of gender. There was such a higher value placed on the male life than the female life, so that if you're born and, and you had a female, they would literally take these children and, and go outside the city walls and just leave the child there to starve to death, uh, to, to be eaten by animals. Oftentimes they did this because of birth defects. Uh, if your child had a birth defect, it was viewed as like the gods were looking down on you, so you would take that child, deposit it outside the city walls. Sometimes it was just literally a sheer form of birth control. They got to a point where they just couldn't financially support uh, that many kids anymore. And so again, they'd take any extra child and just put it outside the city walls and allow nature to basically run its course. And one of the things that, that really grabbed the attention of the entire Roman Empire is that these new group of people that were calling themselves Jesus followers, these people that were tasked with spreading the name of Jesus to the ends of the earth, because Jesus was gone at this point. He had ascended into heaven. These Jesus followers were daily going outside these city walls and scooping up these children birth defects and all, didn't matter the gender, scooping up these kids, bringing these kids into their homes and raising these children as their own. They, they, they took, wouldn't you know it, the, the words of Jesus literally, which just in case you were wondering, is exactly how we should take them. And, and in turn, Christianity became something that demanded the attention of the Roman Empire. We, we, we owe so much of the growth of the early Christian church to literally that one act, that Christians were going outside these city walls and bringing these kids back into their homes. It eventually became Christianity, the state religion of the Roman Empire, the most powerful empire in the entire world at that point in history, adopted Christianity, that this cannot be understated, specifically if you're, you're skeptical of Christianity, became the state religion of the Roman Empire, and they didn't even have a Bible yet. It became that state religion on the heels of people that were living so much differently than the world around them. I'm pretty convinced that we spend a whole lot of time laboring and praying and overanalyzing decisions that God has already very clearly given us the answer to. That he's up in heaven going, I just wish you would shut up and stop praying about it and just do something. Years ago, I'll never forget this. I, I, my wife always gives me a hard time. They don't have a very good memory. They don't 
memorize things very well and like, you know, I don't keep things straight in my mind like when they happen at what point in my life. But I remember this day really, really, really well. Uh, it, it was several years ago. I was outside of the University of Toledo Orthopedic Center waiting to go into a case and I had a couple of minutes to kill and I picked up the phone and called my buddy Joel. He's my best friend. He, they actually started a church down in Columbus back in February of 2017. So now we're like pastoring together here and we get to bounce ideas off each other. But nonetheless, I, I call him this day and we're just kind of making small talk. And it was right about before the time my wife and I were going to have our, our first child. We we're going to have our daughter uh, Logan. And uh, he's kind of talking to me about that. He's like, he's scared, he's excited. We're kind of talking through those emotions. And, and then out of nowhere, he asked the question, he goes, what are you guys adopting? Which at that point was a really strange question because we'd never talked about that before. Um, and he asked it in such a way that it was just like this foregone conclusion that we were going to adopt. And so I kind of like fumbled with my words for a second. I was like, oh, I don't think we're going to adopt. Like we didn't have any trouble getting pregnant. Check me out. Like, yeah, I was like, I think we'll probably just have like <laughs> biological kids. Like, I, I, no, we'd never really like talked about that. I, I don't see that as something that we're going to do. And then he said something uh, that coming from certain people would, would have, you know, I would have taken offense to, but coming from him and the relationship we have, I, it was okay with it. He said, oh, you don't take the words of Jesus seriously, huh? And I was like, oh, okay. And I kind of understand where, where, where he was going to. And he basically went on to just talk about how he's so sick of Jesus followers asking God stupid questions. He's like, he already covered that stuff. One of the things that he said to me that day, uh, this really changed my wife and I's dynamic and how we prayed about this. He said that most Christians pray, God, tell us if we should adopt. We should be praying, God, tell us if there's any reason we're not supposed to adopt. See, see what, what changes here is when we pray, God, tell us if we should adopt, we, we basically sit around and we wait for this audible voice from, from God where he's like, go adopt, go foster. And guess what? That voice never comes and so we don't end up doing anything. But when we begin to pray, God, tell us if there's any reason we're not supposed to adopt, then, then at that point, you start making plans to adopt. You start making plans to foster. And if you don't hear that audible voice from God, it doesn't really matter because you are already moving forward with God's plan anyway. As a general rule of thumb, as, as you're following Jesus, err on the side of doing rather than waiting. As we spoke about last week, love God by loving people. Your, your love for God is illustrated, demonstrated, and authenticated by how well you neighbor the people around you, by how well you love the people around you. I, I, I made a list of some of the biggest problems that I think our world, our society is facing right now. And the question as we rifle through these right now that I want you to ask of yourself is, who pays the highest price for these problems? Keep asking yourself, who pays the highest price for these problems? Uh, broken families, fatherlessness, divorce, poverty, substance abuse, incarceration, homelessness, domestic abuse, gang violence, racism, teenage pregnancy, human trafficking, who pays the highest cost for those problems? Undeniably speaking, it is children. Those who did nothing to contribute to the problem pay the highest cost. Those who did not cause these problems and have no ability to solve them pay the highest price. So, so perhaps it's why we, people that can do something, ought to err on the side of doing as opposed to waiting. Perhaps it's why so many different writers throughout scripture, people who spent time with Jesus in the flesh, people who had growing relationships with God, and this stuff is littered all over scripture, had things like this to say. 
Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and the helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Again, church, we're plan A, and there is not a plan B. We, we carry with us the responsibility, again, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, to make this a reality. And, and by no means this morning, I don't want this to just be like guilt-ridden talk and just like, okay, walking out of here like that was the worst Sunday ever. Like, it, it's not as if you guys are not compassionate people, right? Like, you actually, in fact, have proven as a church uh, that, that, that compassion certainly does reign in, in your life. I'm confident that if we showed some story right now uh, and it shared about how someone or something needed help and there was a clear call to action that you all would respond. One of my proudest moments uh, as the pastor of this church was on Mother's Day just this last year where, where we gave all of you an opportunity to, to sponsor a kid through an incredible program called Compassion International. And that day, they sent us 45 packets, and it was because I told them to send us more. Uh, and they said, there's no way that all 45 kids are going to get sponsored in one day. We, we just don't see anything like that. And guess what? You all showed up. 45 kids got sponsored that day. You guys have clearly shown that compassion will reign supreme in, in your life. In fact, we, we all have a tendency and a propensity to be compassionate. A, a couple of weeks ago, I got a text from my brother, and it was literally, this is my younger brother, Landon, and, and all it was was a picture of like this really mangy looking cat. And I was like, what's that? And he's like, that's my new cat. And I was like, what? You, you have a cat? Now, don't think less of me. The, the Prisk family, we're not really pet people. Just like, it's not like a part of our MO. We got a family dog growing up, and it was just like, it wasn't our thing. We're like, that's great for other people, but for the Prisks, just not our thing. And my little brother Landon probably best exemplifies that. Just really not a pet person, certainly not a cat person. I was like, you got a cat? And he told me, he's like, I just felt bad for the thing. And I'm telling you, this cat, he's like, both of its ears are like gnawed off. I mean, it's a feral wild cat. And so he just started like throwing meat to this thing. He's like, I just started giving it raw venison. It loved it. And like, it was eating this meat. I went over to his house last week. The dude had built a house for the cat. My brother, who said he would never own a pet, has a house for the cat. He went to Rural King and bought this massive bag of cat food. He's feeding it daily. I witnessed him, and I'm, I, you don't know my brother maybe, so, so this doesn't sound as ridiculous to you. I witnessed him on multiple occasions when I was over at his house, lean down as this cat is rubbing against his leg and pet the cat. And I was like, what is happening? Compassion happened, and I have a feeling that all of you would have probably reacted in a similar way. We've all seen the Sarah McLaughlin commercials, right? In the arms of an... And then some super depressed looking dog or cat comes across the screen and they're like, $19 a month, you can save this cat's life. I'm like, really? Okay. Um, <laughs> last week, uh, you probably saw it advertised all over Grand Blank. There was an event held actually, I think right here, called Pet Fest. And as I understand it, there were literally hundreds of different animals were, were adopted into homes, cats and dogs. And you guys, listen, I, I'm not trying to say that there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I, I think that those are really, really good things. I, I just personally have a hard time understanding how somebody could give $19 a month to a dog or a cat and completely ignore the human life that is around them. God cares so much for the human life. He places a value on human beings that we, we, we just cannot possibly imagine. He values people. He values children so much that he sent his one and his only son. I mean, think about that. He sent his one and his only son to die on a cross for people, for those children. And he's called us as, as his church to be a neighbor to those kids. Can, can you imagine 
if we actually began to take those words seriously, that when we read James' words where it says to look after orphans and widows, we assumed that that was a literal thing that we were supposed to do. That if we assumed that God was speaking to us when he says to, to rescue right here the helpless, what if, I mean, think about this. What if you are the answer to that child's deepest prayer? What if you were the solution Rather than assuming that somebody else was gonna come along, rather than assuming that that was a call for, for just other people, for like the really like Christian people, you assumed that like you were that solution. What, what if we were again a group of people that were, were truly marked by our actions, marked by our doing? So Joe worked with someone that was adopting from China. We had two biological boys at the time that were two and four. And we thought to ourselves, well, let's pray about it and see if God calls us to that. And that's how we kind of started. We did. It was, uh, you know, I came from a larger family and we knew that we wanted more than two kids. And it wasn't a fertility issue. We had, we had no issues getting pregnant for either of the boys and uh, and had a great experience with that but we also I guess really just kind of became educated that there was there was a need out there that existed there was this need of of kids that uh, that you know needed families we chose to adopt internationally um, you know we felt that uh, we could love on kids of different ethnicities and races and so we adapted from Guatemala first our daughter was six months old when she came home from Guatemala and then our second and third adoptions were done together because they're biological brothers so we adopted Ellie from Guatemala and then we would always make this terribly bad joke about well if a check showed up in the mail we'll do it again which is ridiculous <laughs> it was yeah, and then we had some friends who have since adopted two children too, and they're like, well, we'll just write the check for the home study. Kind of like, here's your little seed, and now you need to trust God for the rest. And we raised a lot of money in six months' time to adopt those two boys. We didn't have any of the money, and people just poured out a love offering and covered the entire cost because that's, that's, that's how, how God works. God is. I mean, it it's is. just an amazing story for our boys that so many people loved them before they knew them and before, you know, they ever laid eyes on them. Well, I mean, as, as a provider for my family, you know, for me, it was humbling, right? I mean, it was, you know, it, it broke you as a, your pride to know that, hey, I, I need to be able to provide for my family. But, you know, in this instance, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't raise the tens of thousands of dollars that it took to, uh, to adopt these boys. But we also just kind of trusted and we stood at the edge of the cliff and knew that God was bigger than that. And, you know, how do we just jump? And what better investment is there to give to the life of, of a kid that, you know, who has a lot to work through. I mean, they have a lot of grief, a lot of hurt to, to work through and to be part of that, that journey is, is pretty amazing. Jesus until you fully know grief and pain and loss and tragedy and I think adoption very beautifully breaks you <laughs> in a way that you cannot be broken unless you've seen someone else unless you've loved someone through that valley I think a lot of people think well you know adoptions about rescuing or adoptions about doing something really nice or about being given all this credit for for changing someone's life and that is so the opposite of what the true adoption story is and 
what we've seen Jesus right through our children and through us is just that it's not about that at all. It's about learning how to sit in the valley of grief and watch him write a redemption story and just to have a tiny little piece of, of the ability to help him with that and to, and really the most beautiful part about it is just sitting in those places with them and, and choosing to learn and to grow and to be stretched. And I mean, adoption is beautiful and it's tragic and it's raw and it's joyful. It's all of those emotions on such a huge heightened scale that I don't think people really understand that that's what adoption really is. Foster care and adoption um, Personally, I think in the story of God looks more like us preventing this tragedy from happening than it does to jump in to be the rescue for the situation. I think God wants children to be with their biological parents because that's how he created it to be. And you know, when, when that's not possible because sin entered the world and it's a really broken, hard place to live in, then I think that he loves that we come alongside and help to fill in the gaps for that. But I think that it's really, sometimes caring for the orphan and widow is truly caring for the orphan and widow, and sometimes it's caring for the parents of that. It's very easy to, to love on a child who needs help, but to love on a drug-addicted parent or a, um, you know, someone that you would just perceive as someone who's just abusing their kids because they don't care, they have a story also. Oftentimes, they do that because they're repeating the cycle of what happened to them also. And so I think it's so important to not sit in judgment in this position, whether you're the foster parent or the adaptive parent. I mean, I, I, I think that if you want to be stretched by the Lord in every possible capacity, adopting is it. I mean, it's, it's like I said, it's, it's beautiful and it's broken and it's raw and it does not allow you to just plan your life and be all put together. <laughs> no, but it's it's joyful. You know, it, it you know, when you can when you can watch that journey of your child to to work through those things and to realize, you know, successes and growth and, and all that. It it is. That's the beautiful part of watching that. But you know, as an adoptive parent, that's what your job is, is to help guide and to shape that. Not to control it, not to suppress it. It is. It's something that, that breaks open your box. You know, as, as much as all of us try to, you know, live in that box and maintain that control, you know, if, if you're following God, He's, he's going to break that box wide open. Can we just give it up for the Asperger's and their willingness to share that story? Yeah. Um, Far from it this morning, am I trying to paint the picture that literally every single, you maybe thought I was doing that up to this point. I, I don't think that every person is, is supposed to adopt, is, is supposed to foster. Uh, that's certainly not the case. Uh, not everyone can adopt or foster. Everyone can and should do something. When, when we allow it to sink in what God did for every single one of us, that, that he looked down on this world, this, this world full of sinners who, who had fractured that relationship with him, and rather than walking away, rather than hanging an outer order sign on earth and saying, I'm done with you, instead he chose to get involved. We think about the deep love that God has for every single one of us. How could we not respond? 
When we think about the fact that Jesus died every bit as much for that child, how could we not be a part of the solution? When we think about how much God loves us, that he would send his son to die for us, how could we not do something? Paul, uh, who was responsible for, for spreading the name of Jesus around much of the ancient world, uh, he would write all these little letters, and one of the letters he wrote was to this early Christian church in, in Ephesus, and, and he has this to say there. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and this is so important. Nothing we did compelled him to do this. It's not as if we bended his will in this direction. He chose to do it because he is love. He chose to do it because he places such tremendous value on every single one of you, and it gave him, as it says here, it gave him great pleasure. I was adopted into God's family. You have been adopted into God's family. And when you allow that to truly sink in, when you allow that to permeate, sitting idly by and waiting is no longer a viable option. And when you put that trust in him and you choose to get involved, I can guarantee you two things. As Angie and Joe just said, it's not gonna be easy. Hardest thing that they said they've ever done in their lives, it will not be easy. But two, the child is worth it. So many of us can get stuck because I've had these conversations with other couples, kind of down these emotional rabbit trails where we start telling ourselves things like, okay, I just can't foster because if I do foster and then the child ends up getting it taken away from me, I just emotionally speaking will not be able to handle it. If it doesn't hurt, you're not doing it right. Following Jesus, for those of you that, that are perhaps exploring this, following Jesus has never been about convenience or comfort. In fact, Jesus went to enormous lengths to make sure that we understood that. Rather than worrying about our broken heart, maybe our heart ought to break for the child's heart and the world's heart that is broken. You can't do everything, but you can certainly do something. I wrote down some some things that, that I would challenge you to perhaps take a step towards today. Uh, the first thing I wrote down was sponsor a compassion child. We talked about it again this on, uh, on Mother's Day. Um, and, and again, an incredible response. We saw 45 different kids get sponsored. With, with your contribution of $38 a month towards a compassion child, uh, they guarantee themselves clean, clean drinking water, uh, meals. They guarantee themselves food. They guarantee themselves an education and then a connection with a local church so that they can begin to learn about Jesus, the Savior of the world that died just as much for them as the people uh, around them. Again, it's incredible what happened on Mother's Day. And, and perhaps some of you walked out and said, yeah, that's not for me or that's a little bit outside the budget or I don't know what. It, it's still not too late. You can certainly go literally right now to compassion.com and, and there's all these children. One of the, again, the sobering statistics on that site is it tells you how long some of these kids have been waiting to be sponsored. For, for some kids, literally hundreds and hundreds of, of days. So that would be a very real step you could take. The next thing uh, that I wrote down was volunteer with Young Life. Uh, Rob Leiter, uh, who's going to be up here playing bass in a second and shared last week, he's, uh, he's the director of Young Life right here in Grand Blanc, an incredible organization uh, that just seeks to make relationships with high school students. I mean, that guy spends more time, I'm convinced, on campus than, than some of your kids that go to that school. Um, 
and, and he just seeks to just build these relationships with kids and, and show them the love of Jesus. But obviously, that's one guy spread out over about 3,000 students. Really, really difficult to, to pull off. And so if you've ever felt that nudge to work with high schoolers in particular, so many different backgrounds are represented uh, at that school. You have an opportunity to, to influence life there. You can literally just email Rob at rob.lighter at grumlaw.com or pull him aside even afterwards. I know he would love to have a conversation with you. Uh, next thing we're down was serving Grumlaw kids. Uh, I am so thankful for, for the people uh, throughout my life that sacrificially gave of their time and their energy to invest in my life. We all know that in particular, when we get to those teenage years, we start to tune mom and dad out and basically somebody else says the exact same thing, uh, but it means more coming from them for whatever reason, maybe just because we are rebellious. Uh, you have an incredible opportunity to shape a life back there. I'm so thankful for the people, the countless people that invest even in my children's life back there. We always need more volunteers back in Grumlaw Kids, especially now, kind of like during these dog days of summer where people have been on a lot of vacations and we're basically cycling through the same handful of people every single week that, that tirelessly serve back there. So that'd be a real tangible way. Uh, you can sign up for that on, on one of your Connect cards or go in and talk back to somebody in Grumlaw Kids. Uh, and then the next thing, you probably knew this was coming, uh, Foster. Some of you are, are undeniably called to foster. And, and some of you dads, maybe some of you, you moms, you are so irritated with me right now because your spouse has been bringing this up for years and you just keep finding new creative ways to come up with new excuses. And, and now you're sitting here today like, gosh dang it, of all days to show up to church, I really wish we would have skipped today because now they're gonna be nagging me about this again. Um, not all of you are called to adopt. Certainly some of you are, are, are called to foster. Uh, now, we know oftentimes what fostering leads to. You end up adopting these kids, but this is a great first step. Uh, as my wife and I have been in conversations and uh, in talking to these adoption agencies, they need so many more foster parents. In some cases, they literally just need places where these kids can seek refuge for just two, three days at, at a time. It's maybe not even as big of a time commitment uh, as you have maybe initially uh, anticipated. And then the last thing is adopt. Some of you, undeniably, God has been nudging, has been pushing you in this direction. Maybe it's even this morning. It was like kind of this thought in the back of your head, and, and there's just something this morning speaking to you. And again, maybe you've created all these excuses that we can't afford it, that, that oh my gosh, it's just too scary. How's that going to affect our other children? But God, again, has, is calling you. He's pushing you in, in that direction, and it's time for you to begin to take these steps. Uh, we, we don't want to be a church where we just say like, hey, this is maybe a good idea and you should consider this. So uh, the adoption agency that my wife and I are going through is called Ennis Center for Children. They have a couple different locations, but one of those is up in, in Flint. Uh, and they've actually been gracious enough. Uh, we called them and asked if, if they would send a representative here today. And so Caitlin uh, is going to be out in the lobby at Grumlaw Central afterwards for any of you that would be interested in having uh, that conversation about foster care, that, uh, 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 that conversation about uh, adopting. Um, I'd really challenge you to take that first step. If God's even nudging a little bit, just go talk to Caitlin and just ask a handful of questions. There, there's so many misnomers about adoption. One of the main ones being the financial ramifications of it. You guys, my, my wife and I's child uh, adoptions was adopting for the state of Michigan will cost us less than $350. And we tell people that and they're like, that's not possible. It is possible and because of agencies like Ennis. So it's not as big of a cost. In fact, both of my kids that my wife gave birth to cost way more than that. Um, <laughs> So again, at least start that conversation if you feel God nudging, prompting in, in any way. Uh, invest, investing in the life of one child won't change the world, but for that one child, it will change their world. It, just adopting, fostering, investing through young life, through Grumlaw kids, investing in, in that neighbor that's a single parent that, that always needs more help, it's not gonna change the world, but for that one child, it will change their world. Can you imagine, as we're closing up here today, can you imagine again if we got this right? 
if we started to take neighboring orphans seriously, can you imagine the ripple effect that this would have to your neighbors, to your own family, to your coworkers? Can you imagine, not just in the here and now, but the eternities that would forever be changed? If this began became a group of people that were marked by our doing, like, like that first century church that, that refused to stand idly by but rose up and brought these children into their homes because they knew that those kids were created in the image of God, that Jesus died just as much for those kids as he did for you and for me. Can you even imagine how that would grab the attention of this community? How that would result in even more lives being radically transformed because of Jesus? I, I don't think that this is some distant, never gonna happen pipe dream I believe that this can happen again. I, I challenge you that whatever it is that you feel like God might be nudging you towards right now, whatever God might be whispering in your ear right now, whatever it is that there's this, that nagging, persistent thought, don't wait, do it. Take action. Because after all, that, that is exactly what Jesus did for every single one of us.